This morning we had a, a sort of practice run of Alpha, and I can honestly say, I was here hand on heart, excellent breakfast. I had, I kid you not, homemade granola with coconut yogurt. It was fantastic. There was also bacon rolls, pastries. It was, I was impressed. I was, uh, I was seriously impressed. I, there we go. Okay, maybe not so impressive for you, but it was for me. It was, I, 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 yeah. <laughs> okay. So, yes, my name is Faith. I'm part of the team here at Central, if you don't know me. And uh, I want to start tonight by telling you a story, a story about a girl called Mary. This is a true story. And when Mary was 20 years old, she graduated from art college. And that was no mean feat, because when Mary was growing up, she, she, she loved art. And um, she was always painting and drawing and, and creating and crafting. And uh, as you go through school, obviously, then you're in the art department. And um, she went for higher art. Uh, she, we were in Scotland. And um, she didn't do so well. And yet she was desperate to go to art college. That was her dream. And uh, so she spoke to the head of the art department. And he said, don't bother. You might as well give up. You will never get into art college. And she applied for Edinburgh College, and she didn't get in. And uh, she was really, really disappointed. And she almost gave up, but she thought, no, I'm, I'm, I'm going to give it another go. She got into a foundation art college, some sort of random town in Englandshire. And um, that was a joke, sorry if you're English. Um, but she did. She went, and out of that, she got a place at St. Martin's Art College in London. And if you are, know anything about art, you'll know that's a very prestigious college to go and study fashion and design. That's where Vivian Westwood and, um, oh, I forgot the other one, Matthew Williamson. You can tell I'm really up on designers. Do you know who they are? Yeah, thank you very much. Okay, well, I haven't ever owned any of their clothes, but I, they're, they're the thing. So she went and she graduates at 20 years old. And she is ready to take on the world. She's dreaming of Milan and Paris and New York. And then she becomes ill. And she literally spends the next two years of her life basically lying on the couch, often hardly able to get up and make something to eat. And in order to just stay in London, which is incredibly hard, very expensive, she is literally, as she's lying there, she's painting and drawing little flowers and things that she sells to basically be prints for textiles, and that's all she can manage. Her sister has become a Christian, and her sister is on her case. And her sister phones her, checks in with her, and then eventually says to her, I've got this great idea. I will pay for you to go somewhere where they are seeing people healed of ME, which is what she had. And she was like, mm -hmm. she's desperate. She's not that keen on the Christian stuff, but she's desperate. So she says, oh, okay, I'll go. And that weekend changed her life. She encountered Jesus that weekend. She decided to follow Jesus. She became a Christian. And through several sessions of prayer, she was completely healed of ME. She got up off her couch. But something else had changed. She never went to Milan. I don't think she ever went to New York. She never went to Paris. Because God had given her new dreams. And 25 years later, she's still pursuing those dreams. And I know this story to be true because she is my sister. And I was the Christian girl that paid for her to go on the wacky Christian healing weekend that changed her life. Now, we, you and I, if we were sitting over coffee right now, we might have a theological debate 
about whether God heals and what about when people don't get healed. But that story is a powerful story and why we might want to debate theology. We can't, you cannot debate that story because it's our story. It happened. And tonight, I just want to speak to you about the power of our stories. We heard some great stories there, didn't we? Stories of joy, stories of pain, stories of God in the mix of our lives, active, powerful with us. And as we go out of this building into a world where often people are hopeless, when we have the courage to take our stories with us and to tell our stories, those stories bring hope and bring Jesus to people. So that's what I'm going to talk about. And we're basically going to start landing in the book of Acts. Because the book of Acts is basically a book of stories of the early church and all the things that they did. But those stories of what they did very much came out of what they believed and what they practiced. So I'm going to share a little bit with you about how they lived life. And then I'm going to weave in a few more stories as I go. I'm overusing the word stories. I'm aware of that. And I'm not bothered. <laughs> just, just saying. So, how many of you have read the book of Acts? Okay, just a few. So I'll give you a little bit of background. The book of Acts is what happened after Jesus died. So it's the book that tells us the story of the very first church. Okay? And at the beginning of the book of Acts, Jesus' followers have got something to come to terms with. Jesus died. But Jesus didn't just die. There are over 500 people who have seen him in his resurrected body raised from the dead. They've seen him eating, speaking. They've seen the, the wounds in his side from the spear that was stuck into him when he was on the cross. They've seen the wounds in his hands. There's all this evidence that Jesus is alive, but they really don't quite know what to do next these followers of Jesus. And they end up living in hiding together, afraid that the people who killed Jesus are going to come after them, which actually does make sense. And then we come to the book of Acts, and we come to something that changes history. Because in the book of Acts, at the beginning of chapter 2, it says that they're just, they're just sitting in this room, and the Holy Spirit comes and fills each of them. And after that point, Everything changes. They come out of the room. They go into the city. They eventually go into the world. And suddenly they are courageous. They own their story and they put it out there. And the great thing is that the Holy Spirit still fills every person who chooses to follow Jesus today. And continues to fill it. So the courage that they have is the courage that we have access to have. I don't know about you, but I'm excited. And I heard some of that tonight. Some of those stories, especially that first man that came up. What I heard is the work of the Holy Spirit in someone's life to break through what can seem impossible. That's what our God is like. So let's go to Acts chapter 2. And it's, it's going to come up on the screen if you haven't got a Bible. But I just want to read through basically a kind of list of how that church lived, what they did. So in Acts chapter 2, I'm going to read from verse 42 down to 47. It says this, They, this church, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. 
And all the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. If you've been around church for a while, you'll recognize some of the things that they did are some of the things that we do. You see, those followers of Jesus Christ, filled with the Holy Spirit, went out there and courageously taught what Jesus had taught, did some of the outrageous things that Jesus did, and shared their stories. And that birthed the movement which is the worldwide church that we are still part of today. And so we are still doing a lot of the things they were doing. But there's also a few things that we're perhaps not quite doing, or perhaps I'm not quite doing, so there's a wee bit of a challenge. I'll come into this tonight as well. So they devoted themselves. They gave themselves to teaching. They learned from the apostles. And teaching, um, they were Jewish people. Initially, all the first Christians were, were, were Jews. And, and the Jewish way of teaching was much more of a discussion. So it wasn't just, right now, I'm speaking, you're listening. You may or may not be agreeing with everything I say. I don't know. But if we were sitting in a coffee shop, three or four of us, and I was, we were going through this passage, it would be much more of a discussion, hopefully. I mean, I'm bossy, but I'm not that bossy. So I wouldn't completely monopolize the conversation. But we'd be having a discussion. What do you think? What do you think? What does that look like in your life? I have a question. And that's very much what teaching was like. And the other way in which Jesus taught people was he let them into his life. Jesus didn't say to, to people, come and listen to me. He said, come and follow me. Come and be with me. Hear what I say. Watch what I do. Jesus said, basically, he said, when I heal the sick and raise the dead and do things, the kingdom of God, the rule of God comes. And they saw that. And they then went on and did the things that Jesus did. Amazing. And they devoted themselves to that teaching. So the church learned from those disciples and what they're teaching. They devoted themselves to fellowship. Now, there's a weird word, isn't it? Fellowship, that's not an everyday word. Not in my world. Is it in your world? No. To me, it's an academic world, word, like, you know, fellowship of lawyers or the fellowship of quantity surveyors. But it's just, it's still there in the Bible, quite an old-fashioned word, because it doesn't have a one-word translation in English. It carries the sense of people living a life together, a shared life and faith. And that's what they were devoted to. There was no sense of church being a building or an event or something we do for a couple of hours on a Sunday that doesn't have impact on our life. Their Christianity, their faith was very much about sharing their lives with each other and with God. Very interesting. And you know, there's a, we have a, a community called International, and it is full of people who are from other nations. And there's about 40 or 50 of them. There's an absolutely brilliant community. And I was just hanging out here a few months ago, and I met a lady from that community. And she said, you know, it's... All my extended family are, are in Italy, and it's, it's just us. But international, they've become my family. And I know we have a, a sanctuary community that 
that's um, basically befriending and all sorts of things for Syrian refugees. And I know what they say, I know from their stories, that being welcomed by people who are not paid to welcome them makes all the difference. It's one thing for a social worker to welcome you, for a housing officer to find you a house, etc., etc. But it's another thing for someone to just come and be your friend and to welcome you or to bring you a hamper full of food that Syrian people eat. And that, that kind of thing coming from our church, that's something that, that a church does. It opens up and shares and pulls people in and loves them. I love those kind of stories. They were also devoted to breaking bread. Now, if you've not been around church, you think, what's that about? It's not about smashing loaves of bread in the street. I have not been a Christian all my life. When someone first spoke about breaking bread, I was like, now we're on to weird territory. What on earth is that? It means this. Simply before Jesus died, he did this thing where he sat down at dinner time, and they were eating bread, and they had wine on the table, and he took up the bread, and he said, I'm going to break this bread right now in this moment and we're going to pause and eat it because I'm about to have my body broken. And then he picked up the wine and he said, and actually, I'm about to shed my blood. I'm about to die. And after I've gone, I want you, as you sit around tables, eating dinner, whatever, I want you sometimes regularly to eat bread and to drink wine and to remember what my death meant. And you know, at that point, I don't think they fully understood what his death would mean. And the death, the sacrifice of Jesus Christ in choosing to die means that people like you and me can be connected to a holy God that I am not good enough to be connected to. I become good enough because of Jesus. And that is the very short version of that story. And I, if you would like to know the long version, I would be happy to tell you and so would lots of other people around here. So they did that. They learned from teaching. They shared their lives. They broke bread, and they were devoted to prayer. They didn't just share life with each other. They shared life with God. Prayer isn't a religious activity. Prayer is communication with God. Imagine that. People like you and me. I'm amazed that God would allow me to communicate with him. I'm even more amazed that God would communicate with me. Sometimes there's words. Sometimes there's not. It's about listening and speaking. It's about being heard and about hearing. And that was the life that those guys lived. The Christian church worldwide, we're still doing those things. Tonight, we heard stories of people praying and what God did. We heard stories of how God, in the midst of stuff, changes things. And then there's an amazing bit in, the, in this passage where it says, everyone was filled with awe because of the signs and wonders performed by the apostles. In John chapter 14, Jesus says to his disciples, the works that I do, you will do also, and greater works than these will you do, because I go to the Father. I don't know what they thought when they heard that. If I was to say to you, see the things Jesus did, we just read that healing, raising from dead, you can do those things. That's a bit of a challenge, isn't it? A couple of months ago, I was, um, we've got a little prayer room downstairs, and I was in there of a morning, if you work here, and there's all sorts of people work in this building, 
um, not just people and staff in this church, but various kind of businesses and charities. And there's was, was a lovely young woman called Martha, and uh, we were just in there together, and we, we, we start every day, and we just look at the Bible for a few moments and pray. And we were together, and um, it was just pray for anything. And she said, what, what can I pray for? And I said, actually, I've got a really sore foot because I had a sore foot. And um, uh, now, this morning there was none, but this evening I feel confident. Who is a podiatrist? Oh, it's so disappointing. Anyway, so here we are. Um, maybe if you're medical, you might know. I had a micro tears in my retinaculum. Just saying, not as painful as it sounds, but nevertheless very sore. It's a little band over the top of your foot. And uh, so, so, you know, it was just a pain. And it was sore. It was sore when I walked. It was just sore. It was waking up at night. It was just a pain. Martha... Martha's young, she's just early 20s, she's part of the team that went out from Central to Stenhouse. Lovely girl, she just prayed. She just prayed simply, she just prayed that God would come and heal it. I was amazed. Honestly, the foot was just like, oh my goodness. And that was it. And it was done, and it was healed. And I have to say, if I really overdo it, and I'm prone to a bit of overdoing it, for full disclosure, it can be a little bit painful, but nothing like, it, like a little nag, but no, it was gone. It was completely different, completely different. And I, th I just sat with it for days thinking of what a sign that is to me that you love me. Because I could still function. It wasn't the end of the world. But you love me enough, God, that my little retinaculum is of interest to you. We always think of healing as being great big things, and it can be. But often the signs and the wonders of God are in the everyday. In the moment where we've just lost a parent and God is so present. That's a sign and a wonder. In the moment where you don't know where the money's going to come from and a check comes through the door for what you need, that's a sign. And it's wonderful. You know, my husband um, is called Scott, and um, he really is one of the bravest people I know. And, and he just, you know, from the beginning of being a Christian, about age 20, he's always believed that if it was in the Bible, then it could happen again. And so he's always prayed for people who, who were sick. And I mean, in the town we lived in, I know Scott once hired the town hall and just announced to the world we're going to have a healing meeting. And before, the, before he was going to come out on this stage and speak and tell people they would be healed, he, was, he said he was actually behind the curtain shaking. <laughs> so he's, he's, he's brave, but he's not that brave. And he'd be the first to say that he, oh, I, I think that's actually an alarm on my phone that's, yes, it's hard to explain why. But um, yes, take your vitamin. <laughs> I'll do it later. <laughs> you know, it was such a good idea when you set the alarm. Yeah, it's one of those. So he's very brave, um, but just a guy. So um, he also loves Facebook. I'm rubbish. If I'm your Facebook friend and I don't speak to you, it's because I can't really be bothered with Facebook. Honestly, I just can't. Um, but Scott loves it. And um, he... Um, I don't know, he's always posting things on Facebook. And anyway, some, some woman had somehow discovered him through Facebook and friend of a friend type stuff. And she said, oh, I hear that you pray for people who are sick. I want to come and you pray for me. She's not Christian. Um, and she has an inoperable brain tumor. Well, I don't know about you, but that would scare me. And um, I was like, oh, what are you going to do? He said, what do you mean, what am I going to do? I'm just going to pray for her. God is God. You know how this story is going to go, don't you? So she comes. 
just prays, he just prays a prayer. Nothing, he's my husband, so I know. You know, he's still ordinary. He doesn't cook. He leaves his socks on the bedroom floor. He's, a, he's not a miracle man. He's a lovely man, but he's not, you know, he's just a man. And he prays a prayer. Well, says, oh, doesn't it? No, no, that's, sorry, sexist comment. Um, <laughs> do you leave your socks on the bedroom floor, Andy? Yes, I'm thinking, yeah, see, that's what happened. That lady had blinding headaches from the moment she was prayed for. The headaches stopped. They never came back. She went back and saw her consultant. They scanned her brain, and they said, we cannot believe this. We do not understand it. The tumor has shrunk. There is no explanation. She became a Christian. She was filled with awe and wonder. She became a Christian. She came back to the church a few months later, got baptized. We connected her in with a church in the village where she lives in Goldbridge. Those things happen today. They happen all over the place. I've been to Africa numerous times, and I've seen signs and wonders. And the big splashy things, they're brilliant stories. But I re it really mattered to me when my foot got healed. It really has mattered to me at times when life is hard, and I felt God with me, round me, holding me. It's not just the big stuff. It's in every part of life that God brings his wonder to us. And that filled the church. And it's no wonder that when they got together, they were so happy, weren't they? What does it say? They, they, were, they ate together with glad and sincere hearts. Absolutely brilliant. And then there's a verse that is a remarkable to us when you think about how we live. Verse 48, it says, They sold their property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. And there's a bit in Acts chapter 4 where it basically, it goes on to tell us that basically they shared what they had. Like their material possessions. I mean, I'm speaking things, money, salaries, bank accounts. That's a little different, perhaps, a little challenging to us. It challenges me. It was like free cycle on speed. How many of you have used free cycle? Seriously, what are you doing? Free cycle is absolutely brilliant. Do you know the premise of free cycle? Oh, there's probably, do you know, okay, I'm older than you. There's probably a younger, trendier version, and I don't know what it is, and we'll know by the time I tell you what free cycle is. So free cycle is this. I have something that I don't need, and I just want to give it away, and I post it on free cycle, offered. Da, 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 da. Someone contacts me and says, oh, can I have it? And I'll say, yes. I'll leave it outside my house, pick it up. That's free cycle. Or if you want something, you go on free cycle. I'm kidding, if you're a student, sorry. chest of drawers, bed. Last week, I free cycled a trampoline. Absolutely brilliant. It was nothing, I kid you not. I, in, in another, no, there's probably more to be said to that. In another part of my life, I'm actually a landlord. And every so often when you're a landlord, one of your tenants um, blesses you with an enormous amount of nonsense that they didn't want when they leave. And you, Get left with it. And it's incredibly expensive to get people to come and clear it. So I free cycled it. It was a huge, big trampoline, and I free cycled it. It was great. Anyway, that's not this. Imagine what this early church looked like. Offered 50 pounds to someone who really needs it. Wanted a week's worth of groceries for a family of five. Offered a lift to work every day for a month. Wanted an older lady to come into my life because my mum's died and I miss her. 
wanted a thousand pounds to start a new business, offered an apprenticeship for someone who really feels like they'll never make something of their life. They shared their life. There is a radical generosity that the church of God is called to that I believe we haven't quite captured yet. And I know some of it exists in this church, so don't be beating it. Let's, you don't need to beat yourself up about it. But there is a radical generosity that we are called to as the people of God that I believe we've just really scraped the surface of. And I'm not speaking about prosperity gospel. I'm speaking about generosity. I feel excited about generosity. It's exciting. Someone lent me a book about a month ago. Nightmare. It's, don't read it. It's called The Blessed Life dreadful, absolutely dreadful. I feel like it's wrecked my life. It's such a call to radical and I believe biblical generosity that I cannot feel unchanged. I can't go back and unknow what I've known. I'm only halfway through, but to be honest, um, I never really finish a Christian book apart from the Bible. I just don't. Are any of you like that? No, okay. I've got like a million, the whole house full of half-read Christian books. So uh, that's good. (laughs) Sorry, that was too much confession, wasn't it? Alrighty, so... There were signs, there was wonders. There was a sharing of life and a sharing of possessions. There was an abandonment to each other and God. And then at the end of that little section of Scripture, it says that they enjoyed the favor of all the people. That didn't last very long. If you read into the book of Acts, it is not long before this beautiful baby church, these wonderful, sincere people suddenly come to the attention of the authorities and for various reasons they're not happy. It's not long before people are breaking into their home groups and putting people in prison. It's not long before one of their leaders is publicly stoned. And it's not long before they realize we cannot all stay in Jerusalem. And most of them become refugees scattered. But when they scatter, they take these practices, they take the teachings of Jesus, and they take their stories with them, and they reproduce themselves, and they become the worldwide church of God. And that is our church. Our church is not a building. Our church is not an event. Our church is a group of people throughout history and around the globe who have decided to follow Jesus and to sign up to a life that is really quite different from any other culture and to courageously own our stories. And I believe, as I said at the beginning, that we live in a society that has never needed hope as much as it does now. We live in a society of upheaval where people don't know if there is a God, a society full of doubt and fear and you name it. And in the middle of that, we have God. In the joy, in the pain, on the good days, on the bad days, when it's easy, when it's hard, a relationship with Jesus and a relationship with the family of God, nothing, nothing beats that. Absolutely amazing. And around this room tonight, we already heard some of them, but there are dozens and dozens of stories. I know there are. I know some of you. Stories of God at work. And I want to encourage us tonight. I know many of you are courageous, so I just want to say, well done. I know that some of you are more courageous than me. I mean, I'm just standing up here with a mic, but I know some of you. You are fantastic people. Be courageous. Own your story. Who cares? You only have a certain amount of years to live, and then that's it. It really isn't all that long. Why not go for it? Why conform and just be like everyone else? Boring. Why care so much what everybody thinks? It really, really isn't as important as it often feels like it is. 
I want to be a person who has the courage to own the stories and tell my stories and not care quite so much what people think. Because actually, there's an awful lot of them thinking, how am I going to make it? What's going to happen? Who am I? Why am I here? Is there any purpose to my life? Is this life worth living? Will my kids be okay? Will I have money when I retire? That's the backtrack that most people have going on in the back of their mind. And we can bring hope. We can say we have some of those thoughts, but you know what? We have God with us in them. And we can tell our stories. And so we're going to go into a time now where we're going to have a chance to respond to that and think that through. We're going to have some worship. We're going to have some bread and wine. We're going to have, we've got a tremendous trained prayer team who'll be over on your left, over there. And for some of you, and I'm going to pray in a minute for the Holy Spirit to, to refill all of us. That's something the Bible tells us to do. Go on being filled with the Holy Spirit. I'm going to pray for us to be filled with courage. But some of you may be feeling that more acutely than others. Sometimes we just don't feel that courageous. That's okay. The Bible says when you're weak, then we're really at our strongest because God is our strength. God is okay with weakness. It's one of my most favorite things about God is that I don't need to be the strong one. Some of us are in the middle of a story right now in our life and it's not got a polished ending like some of my stories. That's okay. Maybe tonight you just need to invite God into your story and say, God, I need, I need healing. I need help. I need connected to the right person and with the right teaching. I, need, I don't know what you need. And people can pray with you. Or you can just stand and connect with God yourself. He is here. So let me pray. So Father, we invite you into this space tonight. You know where we're at. You know what's going through our head. You're God. And I pray this evening that you fill each and every one of us with your Holy Spirit. And fill us with courage. Courage to take a next step. Courage to own our story. Courage to share our story in a world where there are so many hopeless non-stories. Courage to be the people that you've called us to be, no matter what everybody else thinks. God, we come before you this evening as we are and just say, here we are. Send us, God.